Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to take a look at families. Now, I want to be a little bit more specific than that. I really want to address the idea of families behind closed doors. And I say that because when I bring that up in in my work, it creates a little different take on the family, right? We have this, what we think is normal, and then what we project to the world. And sometimes those can be very, very different. So when we think about families behind closed doors, it's what is our family like when nobody else sees us, hears us, knows what's going on? What are we like then? Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, maybe, you know, your, your mom or your dad, they leave the bathroom door open when they go to the bathroom. Like, okay, those kinds of things, you know, each family does their thing, Right. It's, it's not sexual. It's just, it's weird. I walk by and then there's my mom sitting on the toilet or whatever. Really what I'm talking about is how does the interaction happen? I'm going to break family down for you guys. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever heard it quite like this, but if you haven't, I hope this is helpful. If you have, I hope this is a good reminder, but I want to do that after I tell you a little bit of a story. So when I was a kid, I I didn't know this. Uh, I was growing up thinking that what I knew to be normal was ordinary, typical, average, like what everybody experiences. As I progressed in age and I started to learn what other families were like, I started to realize that what my family was like was really different. I grew up with a mom that was single, a dad that was not really around much. I would, as a kid, be outside playing, you know, at all times of the day or night. It it was quite odd um, now that I look back on it. But there just weren't a lot of structures around us. Yes, my mom would make us take showers or, uh, you know, go to bed at you know certain times during school nights and stuff like that. But generally speaking, we kind of did whatever we thought was good and healthy. Which, as a kid, man, I got to tell you, I got really lucky that, um, I, you know, I did mostly good, healthy things because I just didn't have that structure in my home. Um, But here's the, the key to that story I wanted to point to. Just like you in your family and everybody else in their family, what I was dealing with was normal to me as a kid. Just like when you were growing up, Whatever was happening around you or to you or in your family dynamic, you thought it was normal because you didn't have anything to compare it to up to a point, right? That is part of the reason why kids can be abused and never report. That's why, uh, you know, there can be things like, you know, uncles and aunts that come over and, you know, molest children. 
because the kids don't know that's not normal unless they're taught, right? So what we think is normal in a family may or may not actually be normal. So when we close those doors, and this is true as as your parenting too, you know, if you're a parent out there, what you do may or may not be normal. I just encountered a family over uh, recently when I was camping that functioned super different than my family. And the glaring difference between our campsite and their campsite, like I'm not saying they were right or wrong or we were right or wrong. It was just glaringly different. And the the comparison between the two brought out lots of questions and conversations within my own family. And I say that because to them, what they're experiencing, that was normal for them. And to us, what we were experiencing, that was normal for us. So we can't go with what's normal. There's just too many differences in families to call any one thing normal. So I'm going to break it down for you. Family. It's a system designed and operated with structure that supports influences and interacts with individuals and allows individuals to view the entire system. Right? You may have secrets, lies, and deceptions within your family. But you probably know them for the most part. You keep them generally from people outside of the family. Yeah, we don't talk about so-and-so. Mm-mm, no, we don't bring them up. Secrets, lies, deceptions. Now, can they happen within a family? Of course they can. I'll get into that later. But typically, what we see is a system designed and operated with structure that supports influences and interacts with individuals and allows individuals to have a bigger view of the whole system. That's super important because it's really the beginning of our system's thinking. Our ability to see something greater than ourselves is our family. Whether your family was high-functioning or low-functioning, was healthy or unhealthy, was good or bad, that is typically one of our first looks at a system and how systems can operate. That's a big deal as we progress in life. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the different components, right? We know that families are complex. That means there's many parts that make up the whole. They set priorities, whether those are spoken or unspoken, families have priorities or principles, Right? In the family literature, you hear principles a lot, so I may use that. But really what I'm talking about is what is those guiding beacons, those things that we say as a family, these are our truths. These are the things that, the pillars that hold our entire structure together. So we have principles. So some typical principles might be, you know, in our family, we're honest, we're respectful, we follow directions, um, you know, as long as they're legal and ethical, uh, we, um, you know, we go to church and we follow the Bible or we, you know, the principles can be a lot of different things depending on the family. I've had families who say, well, one of our priorities is, is keeping it quirky. We just don't want to get boring. 
We want to be fun. Great. I mean, whatever it is for your family, you've, you've got to know what it is. And those would be the principles or the priorities. The second thing is systems have specific roles. Well, families are no different because families are a system. That's different parts, different cogs, different pieces that move in different ways. And anytime you take one out, it changes the entire thing. Everybody else has to compensate. Every time you add one in, second child, third child, the system has to compensate. Now, some systems are more flexible and fluid than other systems. You can ask a bigger family. They get used to bringing in new kids and then the other kids just adjust more rapidly. But it doesn't take away from the reality that everyone has to compensate when there's an add-in or a takeaway from the family system. So types of roles that families might have would be, you know, sibling, parent, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, um, you know, care, caretaker, physical affection person, that one that everybody goes to when they just need a hug, uh, the moneymaker, uh, the, the student, the comedian, the disciplinarian, the rule maker, the one who does the calendar, the taxi driver, you know, we, these, and it goes on and on and on. These, these different roles that families have, they're, they're super important. They're, and you take one out, you take out the taxi driver, and other people then have to fill in and become the taxi driver. And so it goes. Families have what we call rules. Now, those are essentially, they're structures or boundaries, right? We often call them rules because we look at families, in a lot of cases, hierarchically, right? The older folks, in most in most cultures, now, America is very unique in this, that there's these cultural gaps right? These, these age gaps, the olders don't always talk to the youngers. The youngers don't always respect the olders. That is relatively unique to our culture here in the U.S. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, good or bad. Uh, I have my own thoughts on that. And you should probably take a look at that because we don't want to miss wisdom that's already been learned, right? We also don't want to assume that because they're younger, they don't have a clue. If they've been paying attention, if they've been learning from older people, they probably do have a clue. You don't have to be 50 to have it all figured out. Believe it or not, you're not going to have it all figured out at 50 or at 60 or 70 or 80. You might have certain things figured out. You'll know what you know and what you don't know a little bit better, but you're not going to know everything that you need to know. So these structures and boundaries... Like there's, there's a few different kinds of structures and boundaries. You've got firm. That means they're unmoving. You got flexible. That means, well, given the right circumstances, you can adjust to them. And then you've got not held or set at all. These unbounded spaces. Those are very, very important because those can create chaos rather rapidly. And yet that freedom sometimes is necessary for the system to learn and grow and become better. So they're not all bad, but we really got to be cautious and careful with them. In those structures and boundaries, we're going to see things like uh, felt safety and actual safety. 
You know, that's that's both physical, emotional, relational. I should say not both. It's all these things, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, and so it goes. But remember, I said two different things. Felt safety. That means the perception of safety exists and actual safety. In some homes, the boundaries are there that create actual safety. But the felt safety is very, very low on the radar. Meaning people don't feel safe even though they're actually safe. That can happen. Oftentimes those homes don't have uh, appropriate love. That would be physical affection, words of affirmation, and so on and so on. Look at the five love languages. I've done some podcasting on those in the past. They're going to have patterns when it comes to those unusual circumstances. Like when we lose somebody that we love, how does our family mourn and grieve the loss of that person? When we lose the a person we love that's not dead but is living, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, uh, you know, a family member decides to disconnect from the family. How do we mourn and grieve the loss of that person? Those are important things. Things like moral structures, right? Those would be set in boundaries in the structure of the family. And then what to do when we encounter difference. This is a big one. People learn how to encounter difference from their family oftentimes. It's part of the reason why in a lot of families, if mom and dad are racist, the kids are more likely to be racist. It's because they're learning how to encounter difference from the people that are in their home, their family. And that's a big deal. The same thing is true when it comes to cursing or sex or or, or drug use or you, you name it, right? And it's not all just bad things. It could be play. Your first encounters with play are your family. And so learning how to parallel play, how to interact in a playful manner, the use of sarcasm in some families, like those are all boundaries and structures that are put in place by a family. Obviously, I could do weeks and weeks of podcasting on those topics. But for today, remember, families behind closed doors. So I've got to get to the dysfunctions and the breakdowns. It's very important. So we're going to move on. Goals and direction. Families have goals and direction. Now, they may not all explicitly write them down or name them. But these things change over time, right? When when a, a, a young parenting set has young children, there's going to be certain types of goals and direction. I don't know about you, but I was really, really excited when my oldest daughter made it to one year old. I was like, yes, I kept her alive for a year. Of course, I didn't do it by myself. I had all kinds of other people helping, um, primarily my wife. But then we had Nana and Papa. We had other people that pitched in and babysat for us and gave us advice and all that kind of stuff. So at various stages, you're going to see goals and direction change. There's going to come a day where I'm going to have to set some expectations around holidays for my for my children. Like, I really want to get you at least once a year, twice a year, five times a year. You know what? I'm just going to move in right next door to you. 
Depends, right? Like we, but we do have these different stages that we go through children, teens, adults, as parents, as grandparents, you know, these, these things happen. People come in, people go out and a family tends to take uh, a little bit more weight with it, right? If one of our children leaves or when we left the home, we take that love and that some of that structure around holidays, some of that structure around birthdays, some of that structure around discipline and, and stuff like that. We take that with us and we incorporate it as we you know, encounter our own family. And that's a big deal because it allows us to set goals and directions based on what we knew to be normal. Although, don't forget, what you think is normal may or may not be normal. The, uh, the next one, communication. Communication is the foundation for all of this stuff. You can have the best principles and priorities, the most clear roles in the world. You could have rules and structures and boundaries and you can have goals and direction. But if communication is broken, your family is going to be a disaster no matter what. Communication is like the glue between all these parts. So it's really, really important that you formalize communication in chaos. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pause and take a little detour here just for a moment because I haven't gone over this in any of my other podcasts. At least I don't think that I have. Uh, I'm going to go over what I typically will use as it's the awareness wheel. And those of you who are familiar with it, there's a ton of different structures out there. But this one is is very simple. It's really like five steps. I, I, it's super easy to break down. That's why I like it. It's just very simple and it breaks communication down and it keeps it focused. Essentially what it says is this. We pick a topic and then we rate it. That way people know our intensity from the beginning. So I typically do, do a zero to 10. If, uh, if this is a 10 for me, I'm going to say the topic is we'll we'll go with bananas. And for me, it's a 10. Okay, so that means you know I'm emotionally elevated. Then we have interpretations, feelings, wants, actions, and facts. It goes like this. My thoughts are, that's interpretations. My feelings are, that way we're talking not just about our head, but we're talking about our heart as well. My wants are, That's our way of making sure we stay reasonable in the conversation. We can want whatever we want. But being able to tell the difference between a want and a need is very helpful in communication. Then I would say my actions. So what I'm willing to do or what I am going to do. So my actions. And then I see, I hear, which is, facts. All right. Now you can technically start anywhere you want on the wheel. Most people start with uh, the facts, but they don't have to. You can start anywhere you want as long as you cover them all. And that allows us to connect our head, our heart, our soul with reality. We have this major issue in our culture right now. For those of you who have not been paying attention, reality distortions are rampant. 
The idea, look, in America, we are still one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Maybe the wealthiest. It's very possible. Poverty here looks very different than poverty in another culture. And yet, it exists here. Right? They may be wearing Nike shoes and nice jeans because they went down to the goodwill where somebody who is wealthy gave them away rather than sell them. And they picked them up. They got them on the cheap. And therefore, they look like they're not poor when in fact, they're getting one meal a day. And that's their free lunch at school. And maybe they're getting free breakfast too because their family is in fact poor. Poverty looks very, very different here. Okay, that was quite a tangent, but let's get back on track. Dysfunctions and breakdowns. It is very important that we take a look at this. Communication, I told you, is a key element. When communication breaks down, we have got to formalize it. Other breakdowns in families, lies, secrets, and deceptions. When there's lies, secrets, and deceptions within the family, then those traits are learned by others in the family, and then they permeate out, meaning we don't tell people what's going on behind our doors. We don't want people to come into our home and see what it's like, or when other people are around, we're super different. That kind of dysfunction, that mask wearing, that fake stuff that goes on, and it goes on in almost every family I've ever worked with to some degree, some much more than others, some much less than others, but to some degree, there's this facade creation that families have. Oh no, we want them to think we're super clean, so we're cleaning every time they come over. But then they do a surprise visit, and they show up and knock on the door, and like, oh my gosh, the house is a disaster. And what happens? Everybody starts scurrying around, trying to pick up this or pick up that, and you know, the cat's out of the bag, people. They realize you're not clean all the time. Lies, secrets, and deceptions, they destroy families. So... My recommendation, find a way to get rid of them. Just like they de- destroy relationships, they destroy families. Unspoken rules. I love this one. I love doing this one in therapy. I say, okay, so what are the unspoken rules? And people look at me like, what are you talking about? What are the things that people know that nobody ever says? For instance, your mom comes home from wherever she's been. And she tosses the keys in the bin. We know immediately that we stay away from mom for at least the next 30 minutes. What? Yeah. She throws them in the bin. Stay away. If she sets them in the bin, guess what? Game on. We can approach mom and have a conversation and we can follow her around and we can talk to her about her day and life is good. But when she tosses them in the bin... Uh Uh-uh, stay back. That's an unspoken rule. We have these different mannerisms that happen within the family, right? Those things that are unspoken have to become spoken to be addressed. We have to name them. We have to give them a description. And then we can understand why they're happening and what to do about it. 
Now we may have figured out, give mom 30 minutes, and maybe that is the ultimate solution. Maybe that's where we end up. But when we do it on purpose, the family structure benefits from the knowing, not just the doing. So it's better to speak the unspoken rules. Role confusion or role swapping. Like you all know somebody or you've been involved in a family that did this, where the children became the parents or, uh, you know, the, the, the oldest kid starts to drive and they become the taxi driver, right? Those are role confusion or role swapping. Now, if you do it on purpose and you make it clear that we're making this shift, look, you're, you're, you're 16, you're of age, you can drive, guess what? You are now going to be responsible for at least two drop-offs or pickups a week, maybe more. But understand that's part of the privilege of being able to drive is now you have this added responsibility. Okay, that's fine. That's different than the role confusion. That is the parent that gets sick, the kid takes care of the parent, and the kid becomes the parent role. Or the parent has an addiction, the kid learns how to clean up the mess of the addiction, and the kid then becomes the caretaker for the parent. These kinds of role swapping or role confusion, they're very unhealthy. If you've been involved in those, please, please go find a counselor and talk about them if you haven't already. It's very important. It's good for your health to get that sorted out. Other dysfunctions, abuse of power. This is not an uncommon dysfunction. That would be something like an overkill of rules. That's too many to keep track of. When a family has so many rules that they can't keep track of them, they have this, you know, this, uh, you know, this chart and it's like, well, you're on number 10 here and we go over here to that rule and we go, okay, and that's going to be your consequence. Man, it, when it gets too complicated, it, it, it just loses its effectiveness. It has to be simple enough to understand and track, and it gets to be defined narratively as we go, all right? And that would be typically the role of a parent. Like we set these principles, and then as we go and we see things come up, we address them under the, the, the pillars. We, we go to those pillars constantly, those three to five pillars that we build everything on. And then your rules um, are not an abuse of power, but they are a teaching tool that has some power behind it, right? Potential consequences if they don't learn. Because learning is the goal. Learning is the objective. Growing and being better is the objective, not doing everything exactly like this, right? We want our children to learn and we want to be good examples of what it means to learn and grow. The other abuse of power, and this one is, this one's often misperceived in my opinion, when you have rules that are not followed. They're known, they're simple, they're clear, and they're not followed. That is an abuse of power. That would mean we have probably got a boundary issue. And those boundaries need to be clarified and then held. We, I see this often in family dynamics, where parents know the right things to do, but they fear the doing of it. 
because they're afraid that if they hold that boundary, their kid is going to lose their mind. For example, you've been in a store, you've seen that kid that just loses their junk. And sometimes you'll see a parent stop what they're doing and haul the kid out, put them in the car and drive away. That's probably good parenting. Now, it depends on what they do when they get home, of course, right? Because if they use it to teach, hey, my schedule is never so rigid that I can't help you learn something. Great. That's awesome. But if they're going home and they're spanking their child when they get home and telling them how bad and awful they are, they're not, they're, they're missing the learning opportunity, right? You, you know, it, it's, it's super important that we don't abuse power, either as kids or as adults, making sure we hold boundaries firmly, but respectfully. Okay, the next dysfunction that I see, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up after this one, is no clear principles or priorities. If the principles and priorities are not known by everyone in the family, you're going to increase dysfunction. People have to know what our family represents. What are we? We're, we're kind, loving people. That's what we want to be known at. Well, that gives us a lot of room to do a lot of things, maybe even make some pretty big mistakes. But at the end of the day, when the question is asked, what did you do today that was kind and loving, that fits our family values? Well, uh, there was this kid in the hallway who was getting picked on, and I, I told the, the bullies, just like, hey, leave him alone. And I grabbed him by the, the arm, and I said, come on, let's go. We got class. Awesome. Great. There's somebody living out a family value, a priority in the real world. Those family values are great only if they transfer into the world. So we got to know what they are, and they got to be transferable or they're a waste of your time and energy. Remember I said earlier, what you think is normal may not be. My encouragement for you, I will, I've gone over a lot of material here. Look for these flags, these potential dysfunctions. And when you see them, ask questions. Ask questions from other families that you, you're in contact with. Ask questions of your own family. If it's safe, ask your family questions. Look, we, it's so important to know who we are within a family because we carry that forward. And if we are dysfunctional in our family, it's important to know that so that we can break those chains, those bondages that, that hold us back from being our best version of ourselves when we have our own family. It's so important. This work is so critical. So ask a lot of questions. We've got to get less afraid of asking what's happening behind your closed doors. Tell me the good and the bad. Let me learn from you. Don't keep secrets. Don't tell me lies. Don't be deceptive. Don't paint something that's not real. Like I want to know. I want to learn. All right. If you do that, you win. You're going to win. You're going to be better off because of it. If I do that, I get to be better off because of it. So my encouragement to all of you, take a look at those, those red flags, those dysfunctional areas, those breakdowns that I went over, the most common ones that I see in therapy. 
Take a look at them. If you heard any that sounded familiar, man, get in there and dig around, ask more questions, learn more, grow more, get better. And then do me a favor, share this with as many people as you can. I want you and others to benefit from all of this stuff. These are things that I've had to spend years learning. Like I'm not charging you anything for it. I don't even have any advertisements going yet. Share it with people. Get this and make this big so that people can get the help that they need. And when they need the help, they can know where to go and how to ask the right questions. They can find their own therapist that's going to help them. They can find their friends and say, hey, I've got this guy that's podcasting and he's brought this up. What do you think? Have those conversations. Share this around. And of course, go ahead and leave me feedback. All right. Thanks for joining me. Have a great day.